0: seated that should be the cry of all of our hearts in response to his grace glorify your name through me turn to Romans 13 if you would if you brought your Bible to church I don't mean your phone. I'm not saying you can't use your phone, but I hope you have a Bible other than your phone. One that you study and mark in and have a notebook with and all of those things. Um, the phone is a good tool and it helps in times of need, but um, it's not a substitute for having having your own Bible. I want to read from uh, verses 8 through the end of the chapter, and then we're going to look at verses 11 to 14 in the sermon. But we saw this last time, oh, oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. Your spirit must illumine and apply your word to our hearts. So that's what we cry out for. Use me as an instrument through which you pour your truth, accompanied by your spirit, that souls might be converted and grown in grace. Help me to preach your word in the power of the spirit. Help us to hear it as your word in the power of the spirit, to love your word, to seek to understand your word. And live in its light. Send forth your gospel. Plant gospel seeds. Save souls. Grow souls. Rest us in your grace. And impassion us to live for your glory. So bless the preaching and the hearing of the word of God. We trust you for it, knowing it to be your will. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Are we living in the last days? I have a picture for that. Complicated, right? That's what I said. Has a clock there. Are we living in the last days? Short answer, which we'll talk more about. Yes. Does that mean Jesus is about to come back right now? Maybe. Not necessarily. You see, every time things flare in the Middle East, you get this rush of books and stuff. Time is now. He's coming now. You know, when the Gulf War broke out, books were coming out. Oil, Middle East, and Armageddon. Things like that. You know, we should have a sense of imminence. But he may or may not be about to come. But even if he's not about to come, how should we live our lives? How should the thought of His coming shape our lives? How should the fact that we are living in the last days shape our lives? How should any study of last things or eschatology shape our lives? The primary result should not be to make our heads fatter, but our heart more impassioned for Christ. We'll deal a little bit more about living in the last days as we move through the sermon. We are going to see that we are definitely living in the last days and that should shape our lives. And whether or not, listen, whether or not Jesus is about to come back, you are living in your last days. Within a hundred years, we'll all be gone from here. Within 75 years, probably most all of us will be gone. Within 50 years... Most of us will be gone. A lot of us will be gone in 25. Maybe some 10. Maybe some of us are very young, young and we'll be gone tomorrow. We need to think about that. We need to be ready. How does the gospel shape us to live in light of these realities? That's what we're going to talk about. But let's review a little bit. We've seen in Romans that we're all lost and need a Savior, that Christ is that Savior. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day. And salvation is through faith in Him, through trusting in Him and Him alone for salvation. We've seen that the, God, the, the soul that God justifies or declares righteous on the basis of His Son, He also sanctifies and that he will finish that work. And it's all his sovereign outworking. We saw that in chapters 9 through 11. And then we began in chapter 10. And listen, we're summing up this section today. So we'll look back at it a little bit uh, really quickly. But we, we began in chapter 12 with applying the gospel. So everything that came before chapter 12, Paul sums up with the mercies. The mercies of God. So he says, based on all of that, based on the mercies of God, how should we live? And see, our text today really kind of comes back to that question and kind of fills in a little more. But based on the mercies of God, we saw that we're to be living sacrifices that are, and this comes out today, holy and acceptable to God. Holy, set apart, set apart unto him to live for him, which is your spiritual worship. And then we saw that living sacrifices are those who are being transformed by the Word. We're being shaped by the Word. It's another characteristic of how we live. Uh, living sacrifices are humble. And, and gifted and using those gifts and are loving and seek to love one another and abhor what is evil. They're diligent and always living sacrifices should be always rejoicing and constant in prayer and uh, blessing those who persecute them, living in harmony, repaying no one evil for evil, living peacefully, entrusting vengeance to the Lord, submission to authorities, loving one another the way Christ has loved us. And that's a really quick summary. You can go back though and listen to the sermons we've, we've had between, uh, from chapter 12 and now toward the end of chapter 13. We are to be those who delight in his commandments. And today, living sacrifices are those who have changed their clothes we'll talk a little bit about that m- metaphor and how it's well. But living, I titled this Living Well in the Last Days. Because that's that's what this section is about. And that's what this these few verses are about that we have to end this section. So really three sections here. Live well in main point. Live well in the last days by one, knowing the time. By two, casting off the darkness. And by three, putting on the armor of light. Live well in the last days. Live well in every day the Lord gives you by doing that. Knowing the time. It's, it's so important for us to know where we live and when we live. And to be, by God's grace and His, his provision, putting off darkness and putting on the armor of light. Well, Look, look back at verse 13 and we'll talk about knowing the time. We live well, we live well in the last days knowing the time. You see in the ESV, it says, besides this, you know the time. NAS says, and I think this is better. The NAS and some other translations say, do this, knowing the time. And that this there refers to Everything from chapter 12 verse 1 down to this point. Do all of this. Be living sacrifices who are, whose lives look this way, knowing the time. That the hour has come for you to wake for sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first. Believe. See, knowing the time doesn't mean we're going to know the exact time that Christ will return. In fact, if you think you know the exact time Christ is going to return, you're wrong. The Bible tells us no one knows. So that next book comes out that will tell you exactly when Christ is coming back. You can chuck it. 88 reasons why Jesus was coming in 1988 just caused me to delay my moving cuz that book said he was coming in September and I was supposed to move in September so I postponed my move a month so I wouldn't have to carry all that furniture cuz Jesus was coming back guess what I had to carry all that furniture it doesn't know it doesn't mean we're going to know the exact time it means know the time in which you live Know no, where you are in salvation history. And we're, we're going we're gonna to spend some, some time talking about that. Know the time in which you live. Again, he says, do this, all of this, because knowing the time. So personally, even if Christ doesn't come back for a hundred years or a thousand years, you only have so many days left. And with each passing day, you catch that in the verse, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Every day is a step closer to Christ for the believer. And for the unbeliever, a step closer to judgment. Take that seriously. We all only have so many days left, and we don't know how many they are. I praise God that He does. Psalm 139. He's written all our days in His book before there was one. And He's sovereign over that. But He hasn't revealed a lot of the secret things to us. But you are closer to meeting Christ, either in His return or you're going to be with Him in death. You are closer than you were when you first believed so personal personally personal eschatology i know the time know that every day i am granted on this earth is a day closer to christ should that let that calibrate me so that i'm focused on him and and living for him but then in in what we call eschatology study of last things too. know the time Know the time in which you live. Listen, we'll talk more about this, but we live in the overlap of the ages. We live in the time of the already and the not yet. We live in the time when the kingdom has been inaugurated, but not consummated. We live in the overlap of the ages Of this present age and the age to come. We still live in the dark age of sin and misery. Where there's death and struggle and all kinds of of suffering. But the kingdom of light has invaded this dark age. And is already shining and it's pushing back the darkness. We don't see the sun yet. But his light is shining over the horizon the new creation has come back into time in jesus and therefore in all who are in jesus think about this think about a 24 hour cycle that is being alluded to here and we have night and we have day but then we have those transition times of of dawn and dusk don't we and here the picture the picture is the dawn Look at look at what that that time. It, this was written in the time when the the sun sort of determined the day, and when the sun went down, people went to sleep, and when it rose up, people got up. And so Paul's using that figure, and he say he said he said here that the the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to you. So, so in other words, it's the dawn. It's the dawning of the day. It's time to wake up. Sleep here is a metaphor metaphor for moral carelessness. It's not a time to just be moral, have moral carelessness. We we we're, we're to be focused because we live in the dawn. The darkness of night is passing away. The brightness of the day is dawning. The sun. You notice if you if you're up at that time of day, it starts. Being light and growing in light before the sun actually peaks over the horizon. That light is bleeding over before the sun actually comes up. See, the darkness of night is passing. The day is coming. And we dwell in that time when that light of that kingdom is flooding over the horizon. And we're seeing it, aren't we? Christ has come. He's brought the new creation into time. And then He's brought us to Himself. And we know that if anyone is in Christ, they are a, the old has passed away, the new has come. So we're already part of that new creation, but we're left here for a purpose to be part of taking His gospel of good news to the ends of the earth. But the darkness of night is passing. The brightness of day is dawning. His kingdom, His kingdom is both here and it's coming. It's been inaugurated, but it will be consummated. And we pray in the Lord's Prayer for that consummation. Your kingdom come. What will that look like? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, someday that sun's going to arise over the horizon. Jesus is going to come back. We will be with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. The fullness of the kingdom, the consummation of the kingdom will be then. But right now, let that, let that. every time you see a dawn in the morning, let that remind you of where you live. You live in this overlap of the two ages. You live between the night and the kingdom. You live in the inaugurated kingdom with the promise of his coming. And you see evidence of his kingdom. All, I mean, look around the room. This is evidence of his kingdom. If all of humanity were this string of lights were are coming up on Christmas, and listen, don't get all aggravated if you don't celebrate Christmas. I'm sorry for you, but don't get all aggravated. But if humanity is this string of lights connected to Adam, all those lights are off and dark and think they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and reveling in the darkness. But as the gospel comes and those lights get replugged out of Adam and into Christ, they start coming on. And if you could see that represented by lights as you looked around, you see, you see lights coming on all around you because the king is bringing his people. The light of the world is bringing his people to himself and making them lights. See, we dwell here. We're left here. We know the time. We know where we are. We know what we're supposed to be is light and salt for our king. And we have his word to direct us. Peter said this in Second Peter 1.19. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention to, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. So Peter says, do all of this live for Christ because, you know, the time, you know, you're in the hour has come to wake up and to focus on Christ and live for him. Because salvation is nearer now than when it when you first believed, you don't know how many days you have left either before he comes or before you pass from this life. Cash them all in. Peter's saying for Christ. Let's answer our opening question with a little more detail. Do we live in the last days? Yes. We, live, we are living in the last days. Do you know when the last days started? Look at Hebrews 1, 2, 1, 1 and 2. Long ago. Now this instructs us on so much. And I don't have time to go in it. But long ago at many times and at many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days. He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom He created the world. See, the last days have been going on, at least since Hebrew, Paul wrote Hebrews through Luke. That's a little help there. Luke's pen, Paul's mind. Mystery solved. But there's a lot of other verses that identify that for us, that the last days began... When Christ came and lived and was buried and was raised from the grave. And they will end when he comes again. So ever since his first coming, we've been living in this dawn era. This overlap of the ages. These last days. Now it's not the, what scripture calls the last day when Christ will return and judge. But yes, we're in the last days. We've been in the last days since the resurrection. We'll be in them until he comes again. So how should we respond since the kingdom has been inaugurated? That Christ, the light of the world, has come. And you and him are to be lights in this dark world. His light is shining in and through you in this present age of sin and misery. Matthew told us. He didn't say be light of the world. He said you are the light of the world. Why? Because you're in the light of the world. So therefore, let let, let them see your good deeds... And glorify your Father who's in heaven. So that requires both a life and lips, doesn't it? They need to see how we're living and know why we're living that way. If we don't tell them, they won't know. We're just trying to be good. We've got to tell them. Salvation is near. And when, it, when this verse is talking about salvation... When verse 11 says uh, that your salvation, for salvation is nearer, that's the completion of it. That's the glorification part. Remember, we talk about salvation being a big word. And within that word is understood justification, sanctification, glorification. Beginning of the work, enduring of the work, and finishing of the work. This will be uh, the finishing of the work. That's nearer than it was the day you believed. Be encouraged by that. God's work of grace will be finished. You will be made like Christ. So do this. The things we've talked about. Know when you live, Christian. You live in the overlap of the ages. You live. You, you see the light of the sun rising, but He's not here yet. But that should spur us to love and live for Him. So next point: change your clothes. Knowing how we live will leads to a changing of the close, He's told us, and I should have read this with the earlier part, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. That, again, that dawn time, that time of overlap. But look how he applies it then. You have something we're told that is true, the indicative, and now there's some commands that are going to come. He says, how, how does he apply it? Look in verse 12b. So then, when I say 12b, I just mean halfway through the verse in case y'all have ever wondered what I'm talking about. So then, let us cast off The works of darkness. And this is an outline for the rest for for verses 13 and 14, isn't it? So then, since this is true, since we know the time, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us change our clothes. In, in fact, our clothes have been changed. We died with Christ and we were raised to newness of life. So in our union with Christ, we're no longer the old man, but the new man in Christ. But then we change those. We we press into, Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith Christ's likeness. So he's, Paul is using, and he does it in other places. I'm going to read a place here in Ephesians again in a minute. He's using a clothing metaphor. Think about working hard Being out in the yard, maybe you're planting a garden and you got to get all the weeds and roots and all. You're working hard out there and you come back in the house and you're wearing dirt. You're wearing clothes, but they're covered with dirt. Now, if we're thinking, well, number one, the wife doesn't let me in the house wearing dirt. There's a transitional room where the dirt's going to have to come off and go into the hamper or washer. But think about taking off dirty clothes and casting them aside, taking a bath and putting on new clothes. So that's kind of the picture. Let's just read this. I'm not going to comment on it. I'm just going to read Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 to you that connects this clothing metaphor with the new life that is ours in Christ, with the putting off, with the putting on. Says this in four seventeen to twenty four. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, as the unbelievers do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They don't know when they live, where they live. Due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him. And were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Now watch. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life. And is, con- is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on... The new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You are a new creation, therefore you are to live like it. And listen, it's not that we're being whipped and forced in a certain direction. If we are a new creation with a new heart, we're going to now grieve over and hate sin and pursue and hope for righteousness. So it's just like when you're all nasty and dirty and if you're thinking right, it's your pleasure to take all that off and to clean up and to put on new clothes or clean clothes. It should be our desire and pleasure to put off the works of darkness and put on the protection and armor of light. So that's where he leads us here. Look at this. First of all, cast off the works of darkness and I'll come back to the first part of 13 in a minute. So, we're, we're to walk properly not. Look at verse, halfway through verse 13, which starts with not there. So, we're to walk properly not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality and quarreling and in jealousy. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about these couplets of sin and these categories of sin. We've talked a, a good bit of that, about that as we dealt with the law and then the commandments last time. So I'll point you back to that. But one thing I do want you to see. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is not an exhaustive list of corrupt works or sinful works. But I want you to see the seriousness of all sin in the lists that we're given sexual wild parties, drunkenness, sexual immorality. Look what is listed right there with it. Quarrelling and jealousy. We tend to think of those things as less, don't we? Listen, if you want Southern speak to have the starch convicted out of you, read Jerry Bridges' Respectable Sins. Look right there at that list. Some of us are not as careful about quarreling and the heart issues, jealousy, as we are about these other things. But they're listed right there as part of the works of darkness. Quick temper. Quick to quarrel. Not a holy jealousy for God's glory and growth and grace, but just stinking jealousy. And all those other heart things that that come along in that and with that. Or to be put off, be put to death. And we know that the Spirit's in us. If we're putting sin to death, we saw that in chapter 8. So we're... we're, And listen, so much of this list, I'm going to be honest with you, I relate to. Because I was converted at twenty six. Before I was converted, the wild parties and you fill out the list. That was my passion. That was my desire. Wasn't really all that satisfying in the end of the day. And I realized that even back then. But that was not what I loved. That was my pursuit. And then God came in. Christ came. Drew, God drew us to himself and his son. Gave, gave us this new heart. And our friends were looking at us going, what the heck? They started sort of keeping their distance, because we didn't run in that anymore. What's your attitude towards sin? Do you see it as the works of darkness? As you see it as things, ugly, sinful, polluted clothing, that is to be put off. Since the day is at hand, we're to cast off. Knowing that we're a new creation, we cast off. Knowing that we live in the dawn of the ages, we cast off with joy and effort the works of darkness. See, truly understood eschatology, be it personal eschatology or eschatology, should promote holiness in our lives. That's the effect it should have. The most important thing is not for you to decide which millennial position you hold. but to get yourself right in front of the coming of Christ. And to live for Him. Knowing who we are as new creation and where we live will have a purifying effect in our lives. Putting off darkness because we now hate it. See, there's the examination right there. Do you now hate sin? Because look at me, your clothes reveal your heart. If, I, if my joy is still wearing those old dirty clothes, that's just revealing my heart. that I, God hasn't worked repentance in me. I have not come to the place where I hate sin yet. But when you come to life and faith in Jesus and you are renewed with a new mind and heart, those old clothes are going to start to stink. And you're going to wish to be reclothed. We're going to have to put them off. The night is far gone. The day is at hand, so cast off the works of darkness. We're to be living sacrifices, those who look to Jesus and seek to purify Himself themselves by His means. Look at 1 John 3 2, three 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Right? But Christ has appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Glorified. Finished work. Because we shall see him as he is. That's the gospel hope. Now look at verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Has God put a hatred of sin in you that is causing you to see it as the ugliness that it is and seek to put that off out of love for God? Not to make yourself right with God, but because you have been made right. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Christ died for our sins according to... This is what put Him on the cross and not just drove those nails in His hands and feet. And not just ripped his back off, but crushed his soul under the weight of the wrath due us. How can I love things and embrace things that did that to my Savior? That's the old, filthy, stinky, dirty rags that I'm to be putting off. If I know Christ, that's the point John's making. If you really know Jesus, you will be purifying yourself. You'll be pressing into your sanctification. You'll be making every effort in God's grace, it being a work of grace, to be putting off sin. And therefore, we don't stay unclothed. The second aspect of this is putting on Christ and putting on the armor of light. So that's what he says in verse 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, we live in the dawn, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. As though it's already happened, right? We're, we are new creation. And then it says this. Put on Christ. Verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. We'll talk about that in a minute. In other words, new creations wear new clothes. And the new clothes is, that we wear is first and foremost Jesus. He, he lived for us in fulfillment of His law and kept His law and thought word and deed for the glory of the Father and to have a righteousness to credit to His people. He died and paid the penalty. He was crushed for us, Isaiah says. He, The punishment due us was placed upon Him. He drank that cup of wrath dry for us and then He went through the tomb under the power of death for a time and He was raised the third day proving it all true. And therefore, He gives us salvation as a free gift. Are you trusting in Him this morning? The wages of sin is death, Paul said in 6.23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't earn it, but He did. So it's a gift you receive. And you receive it by using the hands of faith. To trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to see Him as your salvation. That's the first way that you put on Christ is by trusting in Him and receiving Him as your uh, salvation. And Scripture tells us that at that point we have died and we are hidden in Him. Like He's the ark. It's almost like that old ark pictured Jesus in whom we could be safe from the wrath of God and saved in that storm. Putting on Jesus also, then having come to faith, there's a theological component to putting on Jesus. Realizing our union with Him. That's what Paul had to teach in chapter 6, right? When He died, we died. And when He was raised, we were raised. We're raised to newness of life. Not the old life. Newness of life. Life in the light. Because the light is Christ. Grasping our union with Christ, that we're united to Him by faith is the... First aspect of putting on that armor of light experientially in our Christian lives. Think about what the metaphor that he's using here of putting on clothes. And think about your clothes right now. Spatially, nothing is closer to you than your clothes are right now. I mean, they are on you. You are, you are hidden by them. Praise God. Nothing's closer than our clothes, and that's a picture of this intimate, close relationship and walk we're to have with Christ. See, this this metaphor calls us to more than simply imitating Christ's character. This is way more than what would Jesus do. Well, the only way you know what Jesus would do is what he did in his word. But it's, it's way more than simply imitating his character. This, this metaphor pictures an intimate, close, personal relationship with him. Loving him. Enjoying his love. Walking with him. Seeking to live for his glory now. He said, remember, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what produces love for him is the Gospel fact that he lived for me and died for me and was raised for me and is reigning for me and that's all his doing i was his enemy his grace is what produces love in my heart and then love flows out in this in this devotional life with him where i love him and enjoy his love and seek to put off the dirty clothes and put on christ likeness So putting on the light is putting on Jesus and growing and living out of love for him. So the way that we live in light of this living in the dawn is to walk properly. In other words, walking properly is putting off darkness and putting on light. It's looking to Christ, trusting him and living for him. And lastly, it says making no provisions for the flesh. Beard is willing, flesh is weak, right? The flesh wants to indulge itself. We're still left as Christians with a remnant to sin. If you, if you have two dogs in a fight that are the same size, the one you feed is probably the one that's going to win. Make provision means to plan a way to provide for, to focus on nurturing, To so, so what you feed will lead. We're not to be planning on indulging the flesh and seeking avenues to indulge the flesh and gratify its desires. I mean, other translations, the Christian Standard Version says, make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. So that's kind of how we make provision, is that we give it an opening, Right? NIV, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So, in other words, if if I'm not going to be focused on the flesh as the Christian, I'm to be focused on the spirit. And how do, how do I do that? The opposite duty of, of feeding the flesh is to feed the spirit. So, how do I feed the spirit? I feed on the means of grace that God has provided. Word, prayer, worship, the primary means of grace. When we feed the spirit, we, we consequently starve the flesh. We're not making provision and plans to indulge it. We focus on Christ in and through his word. And he works in and through you to put off the darkness and put on the light then. I mean, that's what he prayed, right? Sanctify them. In the truth, your word is truth. I mean, really, that's what we're talking about here again is sanctification, growth and grace, living for Christ. And Christ said for God the Father to do that through his word. So the way that I make no provision for the flesh is to make provision for the spirit. Little less, my spirit, filled by hopefully his spirit to walk in his word. So the, the opposite duty then is to feed on the means of grace. <clears throat> and if my heart is right, that's my desire, and I will be, feed, I will be spending time with the Lord in prayer. I will be spending, and I'll be prioritizing it. It won't be this thing where, well, if I have time. You have time. You might have to find that time. And if you're married and have small children, you might have to help each other find that time. By taking certain duties off one or the other for that time to spend with the Lord. But you must, as a Christian, prioritize feeding on Christ. How do we do that? Through the Word. Through the sacraments. Literally, the Lord's Supper. When our spirit hearts feed on Him. So we see our responsibility then to to plow into the means that God has given us to to make provision for the spirit to grow in grace, to depend upon the power of the spirit and feed on the word. And as we're feeding, we're growing and we're 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 getting strengthened in this hatred of sin and love of righteousness and devotion to Jesus, not trying to make ourselves right with God, but because we are but through faith in Jesus. So. You know, I heart test a while ago. Do you hate sin? I guess the flip side is do you love righteousness? And listen, how do you feel about this? And literally, I don't mean how do you feel about it. What role does this have in your life? Are you in this, digging in this, to know your Savior and know what He's provided for you and know what He requires of you? Are you being sanctified by the truth, the way Jesus prayed? Why do you think every Sunday I'm like, be in the word? You can't follow Jesus unless you're in the word. Is because that is the path that he's laid out. This is the banquet for your soul. This is the strength for you to walk with Christ, is to be filled with His Word. The counterpart verses in Colossians and Ephesians, one says be filled with the Spirit, the other says be filled with the Word. Why? Because the Spirit works in and through the Word to accomplish His purposes in my my life and your life, in our lives. This is how we're going to know who He is and who we are and when we live and what He has done for us and what He requires of us. We were talking about this silliness the other day, but I'll mention it again. This doesn't mean you lay the book on you or you sleep with it under your pillow or you do any form of any kind of nonsense like that. That's nonsense. It's words to be hidden in our heart that we might not sin against him. Hey, it's work. Let's admit it. But he's worthy of it. Do you see him as worthy of it? If you do, you're in this book. If you do, you love Him. If you do, you know when and where you live. I'm pressing you. You know why? That's my job. Shepherd is to lead you in paths of righteousness, in the ways of green grass. Here's the green grass. You come to me and you say, I'm struggling. I don't know why I'm struggling. I'm weak. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And I say... After I quiz you a little on the gospel to see if you even understand, I'll ask like, well, how's your time with the Lord? Well, "Mm, well, I'm not really doing that. Ding, 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 ding. No wonder you're struggling and weak. You don't trust Him. You're not in His Word. Not being fed. You're making provision for the flesh because you're neglecting. The provision for your spirit. I don't know why I did that. Well, I do. And you do. You want God magically to take everything away. And that's not how it works. Our growth in grace is summarized by Peter. <clears throat> Make every effort to add to your faith. Go read it and fill out the list. Because we know what time we live. Because salvation is is nearer than it ever has been. Because Christ is coming. Because the kingdoms are overlapping. We live in the already not let. All of that. We are to be putting off the works of darkness. And putting on Christ. And the works of light in Him. Walking in dependence upon His Spirit. Being filled with His Word. I've hidden your word in my heart, the psalmist said, that I might not sin against you. Your word is a, my feelings are a light to my path. No, your word is a light to my path. He is the word incarnate who has lived for us and died for us and been raised for us so that we might plow into the word written to know the word incarnate and to walk in his grace by living for his glory out of love for him. Paul summed it up in Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And don't see that as some mysterious... Walk by the Spirit by doing what the Spirit said in the Word. Spirit-inspired Word leads us to the Word that we might know God and walk in His grace and live for His glory. And yes, the Spirit empowers us. feeding. On the means of grace, therefore feeding the spirit, making provision for the spirit. And then we won't be making provision for the flesh. And you will be putting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light in Christ. So quickly, how do we imply that? This is where our memory verse is going to come out. Number your days. That doesn't mean you know how many days you have. It means you realize you only have so many. And you walk in that reality. That he's written in his book every one of your days. And every one of those is to be cashed in for Christ. Realize that life is short. That you may be very near the end, whether you're young or old. And you need the wisdom of trusting God. Wisdom is trusting God and walking in his ways. So Moses says this in Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days. That we might get a heart of wisdom. And part of this is realizing that we live in the overlap of the ages. So number your days, look to Christ, put him on through faith in him, receive him as your salvation, and then put him on by realizing your union with him and the power that is yours to walk in in him through his word. And these things will be true. Number two, put off darkness. Sin is rebellion, is hatred of God. It's rebellion against God. It's what put Christ on the cross. So be putting off the works of darkness. But listen, you know good and well you can't put off without putting on. If I tell you to stop thinking about blank, blank's what you're going to think about until I give you something else to think about. <clears throat> so we're to be putting off darkness and putting on light. Living in light of our union with Christ. Living in joyful submission to God. Trusting Him that His commandments are the way for our joy. And then, number four, making provisions for righteousness. Listen, gorge yourselves on the means of grace. As much as you can, and still keep all of your other responsibilities. Get this word in you. You're riding back and forth to work, hear it played over a recording. Read it. Have a time of day. Husbands and wives work together. So even with little children, you can each have some time with the Lord, preferably early in the day so that you're recalibrated with the gospel. Gorge yourself on the means of grace. Live out who you are in Christ and who you are becoming in Christ. And who you are in Christ is the light. He is the light of the world. You are in him. Therefore, in and through him, you are. Are the light of the world. Embrace your identity. Love your Savior. And live for His glory. Do this, Paul says. Because you know the time. See, this is living well in the last days. Living well in the last days is living for Christ. Living well every day. Pressing into it. Treating every day as if it was our last day. Live like Jesus It's returning. Live like he's returning in the next minute. And you'll be living well in the last days. Live for Jesus. Knowing the time should fuel our living for him. All the while fully rested in his grace. I'm going to read another text that is probably most parallel to this one. And then I'm done. But this is First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, that's brothers and sisters, brothers representative there. Knowing the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. We have sufficient knowledge in the word of God. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep or be morally careless as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Right thinking, following Christ. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your grace would be so, your spirit, therefore, would be so at work in our lives. Through your word. So that we understand your grace and rest our hope fully in your grace. And so that like John Newton, we are amazed by your grace to sinners such as I. And therefore, we press into knowing the time, putting off the darkness, embracing the light, loving you and living for you and loving one another the way you have loved us. Being light and salt in this dark and struggling world. Thank you that the new creation has bled back into time. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to save us. And thank you that you have saved us and made us light. The light of the world in you. Help us to press into living that out. to glorifying you with both our deeds and our lips having the gospel on our tongues. Thank you for saving us. We did not deserve it. Thank you that you use us. We don't deserve that either. But help us to keep our hearts focused on you and fixed on you so that we are constantly putting off and putting on, putting off the deeds of darkness and embracing the deeds of light or Christ-likeness. Work what only you can work in the hearts of your people, bringing them to faith, and nurturing them in grace.